0: And welcome back to Take One, the podcast that gives you just one meaningful page of Talmud every day. My guest today, my dear friend, my wonderful teacher, Rabbi David Bashevkin. Hello.
1: Liel, what a joy to be with you back together in the Erevin grind. It feels like we are being strung together. The pages are what is binding this uh, Talmud community. And it's really a pleasure to be with you today.
0: The pleasure is always mine, and the dapim, and I hope many of our listeners feel the same way, is really one of the constant pleasures that give this very mad year a sense of rhythm and a sense that maybe maybe things are going to be okay after all. And if you hear the kind of doubt in my voice, it's because doubt is the theme of today's page. I want to read to you a short passage that I found in today's page uh, 35b and ask you a few questions about one of the most fascinating things, I think, about the whole notion of religious faith in general, which is the idea of just how do you handle doubt. Here it goes. As we learned in a Mishnah, says today's page, if one touched one other person at night, and he does not know whether the person he touched was alive or dead, and the following day he arose and found him dead, and he's in doubt as to whether or not he contracted ritual impurity as a result of having come into contact with a corpse. Rabbi Meir renders him ritually pure. It is assumed that the deceased was still alive until the point that it is known with certainty that he is dead. And the rabbis render him ritually impure because it is assumed that all ritually impure items had already been in the same state as they were at the time that they were discovered. Just as the deceased was found dead in the morning, so too it may be presumed that he was dead when he was touched in the middle of the night. So once we get over this extremely disturbing notion of you know, touching someone at bed at night and- Who
1: can remember if uh, the person you know, sleeping next to them in bed was alive or Exactly, dead or I
0: mean, well, who
1: knows? Who knows these things? Who can keep track of all of it? <laughs> I mean, they're on their iPhone. I, I assume they were alive.
0: But even getting past that, Mishigas, what struck me as fascinating about this particular passage is how much room it allowed Uh, for the notion of doubt, for the idea that you're sometimes, well, you know, you really cannot be certain. And what that sort of opened up for me is that understanding that I had often reflected on that religious life, which to those in the world who do not share it, may seem incredibly rigid and stern and sort of exists only to expel doubt, is in fact fill with doubt. In fact, doubt may be one of its kind of engines of survival, right? The notion that you can never know for certain, therefore you have to contemplate every alternative. What do you make of this?
1: So it's so interesting. And I really think, you know, there are different lenses that we can talk about this problem. uh, And this kind of this issue, the struggle with doubt and confusion and complexity in the modern world. But I actually think there's something very simple and very sweet about contrasting the word for doubt, which is suffake in Hebrew, and its appearance in Talmudic and rabbinic literature versus its appearance in biblical Torah literature. And here's a head-scratcher that I think gives you part of the answer is here, and that is— The word sufik, the very word for doubt, does not appear throughout the Torah. And I've always been fascinated by the vocabulary of the Bible, the vocabulary of the Torah itself. And the Torah itself paints this prophetic world where doubt and confusion almost seem to be missing from the page. There are a few words. I have a a running list of words that do not appear in the Torah that are like common everyday words used in Hebrew. Another Another example is the word zman, meaning time. And I think a part of that is that the prophetic world of the Torah is really about achieving this idealistic clarity. And Every page of the Talmud, which deals with Suffolk, is negotiating how do we take this complex, confusing, dark, contradictory argumentative world. And kind of integrate it and bring it back to that world of clarity described in the Torah. And that's why if you were to make a word cloud of the Talmud, one of the biggest words would be suffix. It's on nearly every single page. Because the world that the Talmud is reflecting and describing is the world we live in. It's the world of doubt. And our job is not to have the answers to all of our doubt. Our job is not to have the clear FAQ to every doubt that religious life may engender. Our job is to be able to continue trudging through a world of suffake and be able to catch glimmers of appreciation for that world of clarity that ultimately the Torah, the biblical text, is describing.
0: I couldn't agree with you more, and I think that's a beautiful interpretation. And yet I wonder, why do you think that particular aspect of religious life is often so obscure from the outside? Why do you think that is, that the notion for anyone on the outside looking in— is that being, quote, unquote, 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 religious means some kind of blind obedience without ever entertaining these very human, very profound, very essential notions of doubt and struggle.
1: I think it has to do a great deal with the heuristics, with the strategies that we use to find truth within different disciplines. And I think it's a great disservice, the English language has done a great disservice that we use words like faith and belief, which kind of cast religious life in this binary of you do have faith, you don't have faith. You do believe, you don't believe. And I think religious life is much messier than that, and we're kind of casting this, like, true or false binary that we may be familiar with in math or in science, and we're recasting it onto religious life. And I think instead the language to think about religious life is not religious, but it's relationships. And I would ask people, you know, do you believe in your spouse. Nobody would use that word. Nobody would use that language. Do I believe in my spouse? I mean, I I, I guess. I hope so. <laughs> but a spouse isn't a true or false question. Relationships with children, with friends, it's not true or false. You have friends who disappoint you, you have friends who confuse you, you have spouses who enlighten you and infuriate you, and and it's difficult. There are points of marriage which are very hard. And when we recast religious language, not about the world, that binary world of math and science, but more about cultivating a relationship, I think it better reflects the messiness, the complexity, and obviously the doubt that's really inherent in every relationship. And even more or so in our relationship and cultivating with god
0: i absolutely love that rabbi beshevkin thank you so much as ever for being our guest
1: it's an absolute pleasure to join you we all thank you for having me
0: this has been take one a production of tablet magazine if you enjoy this show please go and rate and review us on iTunes or whatever platform you use to listen to podcasts. Each week we'll be releasing new episodes Monday through Friday, covering the entire weekly portion of Dafyomi. I'm your host, Leah Liwiwitz. Our producer is Josh Cross, and our editor is Paul Ruest. For more information, go to tabletmag.com/ take one or email us at takeone at tabletmag.com.